It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Why, why, why make that offer? Oh, so... Um, well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech. My, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. But you've, um, you've described I, yourself. I, I don't care about the economics at all. It was the voice of Elon Musk. You heard that yesterday, and I am finding this story fascinating. Sandy Rios with you this <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Haven't chatted much with anyone this morning. Uh, I find this story fascinating, so bear with me. because. And, and as I said, even if you're not on Twitter, this will affect you. If you missed this statement yesterday, let me explain it this way. Uh, in the last many decades that I've been doing news, I learned from Bernard Goldstein, who I was uh, interviewing one day, uh, Bernie Goldstein, that um, the reason the network news outlets every night you turn to ABC, NBC, CBS, they reported the same stories. And I, I used to always wonder why, you know, the, the world is a very big place. How can these three different outlets always report the same stories and almost always the same lead? Well, how, how is that possible? And uh, the mystery was unlocked for me by Bernie when he said, that's because the New York Times is the paper of record. They all look to the New York Times, who is the entity that has the reporters all over the world who call in the stories, uh, and they all read the New York Times, and that's where they get their, I don't, he didn't say marching orders, but that's my word for it. And so the New York Times, that's why they became so important and so pivotal because uh, the local net, the networks didn't want to spend all the money and the resources to each have all of these um, investigations, so they relied on the New York Times, and we got what we got, didn't we? We got a lot of um, we got a lot of false information and twists that we didn't even realize at the time. I suspected it; a lot of people did, but that made sense to me. Okay, so that's what Twitter is now. And even though you're not on Twitter, many of you are not. Some of you are. It is the go-to place for the journalists of our age. Journalists, I use that with a small j in quotes because uh, they're not journalists like they used to be. They don't follow the principles of journalism in terms of truth, and they, they can do their stories just by repeating each other's opinions. It's just amazing what has developed. It is untethered from truth, really. So Twitter has been the go-to place for that, and as you know, at least you know you absorbed this from conversation, that Twitter is a, a platform that has... Uh, taken people like President Donald Trump off while it allows uh, third world dictators, Islamists to stay on and say whatever they want. Uh, Twitter has been in the systematic practice of removing conservatives. Uh, We could go through a whole list of them, but I don't want to do that right now. I want to just bring this back to uh, 
what's happening here. Uh, Twitter employees are absolutely losing their minds over this. Uh, they, I'll, I'll just give you a few examples here. One of them tweeted, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I really don't want to work for a company that is owned by Elon Musk. Um, another one, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Oh, my word, God, really, they said. My phone's been blowing up. I feel like he's the petulant little boy and that he's doing this troll. He doesn't know anything about our policies and what we do. His statement about our algorithm was blanking insane. We're just going to let everyone run amok? Nobody knows. Um, and there's a few. Musk is dishonest, clueless, and mentally ill. One employee spoke of his other fellow employees and said, Elon fanboys are brain-dead mouth breathers. And it could go, I could go on. You know, they just go on. They're, they are appalled, shocked, and appalled that this man uh, could be their new, uh, the new owner of their company, changing everything and changing their world. By the way, Twitter has locked out employees from making changes to Twitter's source code, so they can't mess with it. Uh, the angry employees will not be able to sabotage the program, uh, the uh, the platform. And so um, that's a good thing, um, but we're not done. I want to tell you more things about Elon Musk because I played that opening clip for you, but I want to read you a few more things that he has said. He describes himself as a free speech absolutist. Uh, he was talking to a recent audience at a TED Talk, and he said, in my view, Twitter should match the laws of the country. Uh, um, he said, acknowledging reasonable legal caps on free speech like direct incitement to violence or shouting fire in a crowded theater. But going beyond that, this is Elon now speaking, and having it be unclear who's making what changes to where, having tweets mysteriously be promoted and demoted with no insight into what's going on, having a black box algorithm promote some things and not other things, I think this can be quite dangerous. I'm not saying that I have all the answers here, but I do think that we want to be just very reluctant to delete things, just be very cautious with permanent bans. Timeouts, I think, are better than permanent bans. Uh, and then he also said, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. All right, so I just wanted to give you some insight into him in his own words. Um, in his his response to, well, uh, let me play another clip here before I say before I say this. So there was there are some comments because some people are having some meltdowns, and this this next clip is really really interesting. Maybe I won't set it up by telling you why. Uh, just listen. This is an MSNBC host followed by uh, another, I think, MSNBC host. Clip one. There's studies that have been shown that this power can be used to tilt elections if someone mm -hmm. were to want to use it that way. It's not enough to just rig law and policy. You want to rig the discourse. You want to make sure you control the terms. If you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. I'm actually laughing. I mean, really? Oh, my goodness. Who would think of that? Who would do a thing like that, use their ownership of Twitter to shut out the other party's candidates, candidate and candidates, plural, to take them off the platform or even kind of shelter you know, shadow ban, the things that they have to, who would do that? Who would do that? Well, they know, uh, I don't know even how they can say that with a straight face. They know that's exactly what they've been doing on Twitter. Can't, for the whole of the world to see, the president of the United States was banned from Twitter. 
because his tweets were so popular. It was actually driving the nightly news. As I mentioned before, we can't have that happen, can we? And so Elon Musk's response to all of this back, you know, uh, pushback, he says, the extreme antibody reaction from those who fear speech says it all. And he says, by free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I am against censorship that goes far beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws to that effect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contrary to the will of the people. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I you know, I know uh, I haven't focused on Elon Musk's uh, strange beliefs, and I'm not going to do that right now because I'm not an expert, but I'll study it. And because I don't think that we should, we should uh, view with caution— I don't think that he doesn't mean what he says there. I'm just saying he has some other views that are troubling on other things. And uh, we'll talk about that at some time. But at this point, he seems to be so solid on this. Uh, I have a lot more things to see, tell you here. Let me see if I can get into this. There, uh, Elon has also taken on some of the staff that remains. Vijaya Gade is the chief legal officer and general counsel of Twitter. It turns out she is the one who uh, was the heart and soul of Twitter. She was like Jack Dorsey's right-hand man, uh, Vijaya Gadi. And in a call with the staff yesterday, I think it was, she broke down crying. Uh, well, it turns out that she's the one that decided to remove Trump from Twitter. He needs to go. He has to go. And she's also the one that removed the New York Post and their expose on Hunter Biden's laptop that took uh, broke, I think, two weeks before the election of 2020. They banned any mention of it on Twitter. They banned the New York Post from Twitter. And she was the one, Vijaya was the one who did that. And then in addition to that, Jim Baker, that FBI attorney, uh, who uh, I don't know if Jim was fired or if he resigned, but he is the one that personally arranged a meeting between the FBI and Michael Sussman. That's, uh, without getting in the weeds too much, Sussman was pushing uh, the lie that President Trump was working with a Russian entity, Alpha Bank. Uh, It was a complete fabrication. Jim Baker knew that. He was the attorney at the FBI at the time, but he brought in Sussman to brief the FBI on Trump's collusion with Russians, and it was completely false. So Mike Cernovich has brought this to Elon Musk's attention. Elon Musk responds, sounds pretty bad. He also wrote, Elon Musk pointed out that Truth Social, that's President Trump's new social uh, media platform, is currently beating Twitter and TikTok in the Apple Store. So um, anyway, that's, uh, so that's some insight. Then there, there are some really interesting there are some really interesting comments that I want <laughs> to mention to you that people are making about what's going on here. Uh, this is from Terrence Williams, and he tweets. I'm sorry, this is funny, too. And this is his tweet. Now that we have free speech on Twitter, Joe Biden stole the 2020 election. <laughs> uh, anyway, and so uh, then Elon Musk, uh, Josh Hawley has an idea, too. He says, here's an idea for Elon Musk. Open the books on who Twitter has shadow banned who Twitter has suspended, who they've throttled, and who was responsible for the egregious censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop. We know that already, but I agree with him. That's uh, That would be fun. And then the, here's one. Uh, Jeff Carlson tweets, The question that's begged is why did the GOP sit idly by for years doing absolutely nothing despite being repeatedly warned by their conservative base about the growing powers of big tech? Well, I think I have uncovered the answer. Tucker Carlson actually talked about it. I think this was last night. Let's listen to Tucker. This is clip two. 
Congressman Kevin McCarthy of California told his close friend Liz Cheney that he hoped the social media companies would censor more conservative Republicans in Congress. Donald Trump, the sitting president, had already been silenced by those companies, but McCarthy wanted the tech oligarchs to do more, to force disobedient lawmakers off the internet. Quote, quote, can't they take their Twitter accounts away too? Those are the tape-recorded words of Congressman Kevin McCarthy, a man who in private, turns out, sounds like an MSNBC contributor. And yet, unless conservatives get their act together right away, Kevin McCarthy, or one of his highly liberal allies, like Elise Stefanik, is very likely to be Speaker of the House in January. That would mean we will have a Republican Congress led by a puppet of the Democratic Party. He's right. I mean, there's no exaggeration there. I, Kevin McCarthy is a bad character. And uh, some people have defended him uh, that from the time that I've been in Washington because he's, like, not really an ideologue. Uh, he wants power uh, and not terribly bright. That's what they all say. Uh, but he's kind of harmless. He can be persuaded. Kevin can be pulled along. You know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, are we really at a stage in our government, in our economy, in prices going up, in inflation, in COVID restrictions that have destroyed the lives of so many people and really actually literally destroyed the lives of millions of people uh, through the health risks of the vaccines? Are we really and truly at a time where we can have a Speaker of the House who, you know, he'll go one way, you know, maybe, oh, and now, but he loves Trump. But behind the scenes, he's saying he's cheering on the fact that Trump has been removed to, from Twitter. And can't they go after these other nasty conservatives that give him such a hard time, you know, in the, in the House, this Freedom Caucus members? I'm sure that's who he's talking about. Can't Twitter go after them? If you wonder why... Uh, the Congress has been so silent. <laughs> you have only to look at the le the minority leader in the House, uh, for one, and the people that, you know, stand up behind him. Uh, they are weak. And they're not, not only weak, they hate conservatives. In the last segment today, I'm going to bring something to you uh, about Mitch McConnell that I just learned. And you know I'm not a fan, but it will also explain to you why we are in the shape that we're in. But coming up next uh, there was a report written just this week about people often ask, you know, who's behind the Biden administration? Who's the who's the wizard behind the curtain? And now we have kind of an idea of who the wizard behind the curtain is. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. So there's this couple named Kyle and Katie, and they were excited. They were expecting their third child, and then they got some really bad news. Their unborn baby desperately needed surgery in utero. They had switched the way they pay their health care bills from health insurance to MediShare, so they were wondering, is this going to work? It's a life, and it's my son's life, and you know we should all be doing anything we can for that. Kyle knew they were looking at a mountain of medical bills. And of that, I had to pay almost nothing. We felt like MediShare was rallying behind us, almost like family. MediShare is a community of Christians who care about people like Kyle and Katie and little Liam, who is now a happy little boy who loves to play outside with his brother and sister. You, you know, Liam's around because of that. We'll always remember. Find out how you can save $500 a month or more on your health care. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Stephen Cliff, Deputy Administrator of the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. His office oversees vehicle safety standards and educates Americans about safe travel habits. Proverbs 3.23 reminds us of God's protection in our journey. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Stephen Cliff as he works to ensure safe travel in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. It's hard to be a Christian on a public university campus. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing three Christian law students at the University of Idaho. They say the university violated their First Amendment rights by punishing them because of their religious beliefs. Now, the students are members of the Christian Legal Society. They were approached by another student on campus demanding to know whether they require officers to affirm the belief marriage is between a man and a woman. The students acknowledged that is the policy of the Christian Legal Society. Soon after, a lynch mob was organized, and it wasn't long before the university's Office of Civil Rights got involved and punished the law students. Elias Defending Freedom says this is a cut-and-dry case. University leaders cannot punish students just because they disagree with their religious beliefs. I'll keep you updated on this case. My new book, Our Daily Biscuit, it's available right now at ToddSterns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. A couple of years ago, far left activists who don't believe in incarceration and believe that the American system of justice has to be torn down and rebuilt from their leftist ideology standpoint, put out a call basically to elect local prosecutors to do what their their vision is for criminal justice reform, which is really social justice and implementing their social justice ideology and policies. And when you have someone like George Soros, who can dump a million dollars into a local race, for example, in 2016 with Kim Fox in Chicago, he gave her $300,000. She got elected for her re-election. He gave her a million dollars. When you're dumping that kind of money into local races, uh, it's very difficult to compete, especially when the voter turnout in those races tends to be very... You know, George Soros is picking people who truly believe in this non-carceration model of criminal justice reform. For example, the DA in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin, when he ran for office in 2019, he told a story about how he understands that visiting your... that he, He grew up visiting his parents in prison. He made it seem like the system was unjust, but his parents were in prison for murder. (laughs) That's why they were in prison. 
And so he has this idea that they just shouldn't have any incarceration, even for the most violent of crimes, which people are convicted of or plead guilty to. Thank you, Katie Pavlich. She laid it out pretty clearly, at least that part of George Soros's nefarious business of destroying the country. I talk about George Soros a lot. We talked about it yesterday. Hopefully, I don't have to go into this too much more because I want you to be acquainted with who he is and what he does. He's a Hungarian um, leftist communist who is now an American citizen, who's kind of a citizen of the world, who goes around destroying economies, uh, destroying borders. He has a definite—in fact, his— uh, his um, uh, his organization was, I just went blank, it's open, uh, open, open, something, open, not open borders, but something. He loves open stuff. He doesn't like anything absolute. He doesn't like national sovereignty. Uh, and he is in the business of trying to destroy this country. He's made that not a secret. When George Bush ran, I remember George Soros uh, promised, to, he said he would spend all of his fortune to try to defeat George uh, W. Bush, and he did spend a ton of money to try to do that. So I teased this segment by saying to you, everyone wonders uh, who is operating things in the um, Biden White House. We know it's not Joe Biden. We've speculated, well, now, see, who could it be? Could it be Barack Obama? Could could it be Valerie Jarrett? Could it, maybe it's Ron Klain, the chief of staff, and it still could be Ron Klain. But um, Capital Research Center, which is operated by Scott, our good friend Scott Walter, have been doing a lot of research into this and to the tentacles, shall we say, of George Soros, and they've discovered something very interesting. Parker Thayer is a new um, investigative researcher with Capital Research Center, a recent graduate of um, Hillsdale. And so uh, Parker joins us this morning because I think this is his story. Parker, good morning. Hey, good morning, Sandy. Thank you for having me. Now, okay, you have to tell me just a little bit about your part in this. Um, are yeah. you, how in the world, you've been, you have been dropped into a strategic place that does incredible work. Uh, are, <laughs> do you like researching? Did you know you were going to be doing this kind of stuff? You know, I didn't. I majored, at, I majored in economics at Hillsdale College. Um, I had no idea I would end up doing the great investigative work that Capital Research Center does. Um, and by the way, earlier there was, there was a name you were looking for, the the, the open, um, it was the Foundation to Promote Open Society. Um, open and Society. We investigated. Thank you. Thank you for that help. Yeah, Open Society. He, like I said, he likes everything open, including people's brains so that their minds, so that their brains <laughs> fall out and they don't think anymore. Uh, but exactly. Parker, uh, let's talk about this. This is actually very serious business. Um, what were you looking for, uh, first of all, when you stumbled upon what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Essentially, I was trying to, what Capital Research Center does, we operate a website called influencewatch.org where we keep track of the left's funding. We're essentially a Wikipedia of the left. Um, what I was trying to do was, uh, you know, compile some grants from George Soros's the Open Society Foundation's website um, and, you know, show how he's doing a lot of funding of, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it, the Arabella Advisors Network. They're oh, yes. Essentially... Yeah, they essentially operate all sorts of pop-up groups all across the country that do political stuff with philanthropic money. Um, I was trying to track some of Soros' funding of that network, and I found some grants labeled for a project called the Governing for Impact Action Fund. Um, I First, I looked online. Could, didn't find anything. Um, I looked in the IRS tax-exempt organization database. Didn't find anything. I looked in the D.C. corporate registry. Didn't find anything. And I really started to wonder you know, what this Governing for Impact project of Arabella Advisors was. Eventually, um, I was able to find a job listing at Harvard, Harvard Law, of course, um, 
which eventually led me to a URL uh, for a website. Turns out this organization had a website that was hidden from search engines. They have never appeared in the press before now. Um, they've never done interviews or issued press releases. But on their website, I found over 30 documents um, containing policy white papers, which had apparently been um, passed into law by the Biden administration, that were explicitly aimed at undoing most of the deregulation policies that the Trump administration uh, instituted. Yeah, you know, uh, what this reminds me of uh, very much, Parker, we're going to get into this. John Podesta runs the Center for American Progress, and uh, John was the think tank behind Bill Clinton and behind Hillary Clinton. The Center for American Progress mm-hmm. was the one who produced all the papers and the principles, and like Heritage does for conservatives, at, at least has for decades. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're out in the open. You know who they are, yeah. <laughs> whether they do bad stuff or not, at least you know who's doing it. But this is completely under the radar. So well, let me um, tell you, I have... I'm glad that you bring up the Center for American Progress because once you find their website, um, which there's a great article of Fox News um, that people can find the website uh, linked to on, the uh, the about page displays their board. Who should be on the board of this project except for Soros' right-hand man, Tom Perellio, I believe it's pronounced, um, who used to be the president for Center for American Progress Action. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, and that was that was you know that was back during the uh, the Clinton era, I believe. Yeah. So well, yes. This is extremely well connected, extremely tight knit, very secretive, and very influential. They brag in their internal memos, which we were also able to find because uh, they use a service called Prezi to put together their 2022 budget projections. Um, but unfortunately, when you use Prezi, at least unfortunately for them those presentations later become public. So now we have all of their internal memos, uh, which you can also find in the Fox News article, um, that talk about how they, they brag privately to their donors that over 20 of their policies have become uh, law thanks to the Biden administration. Um, they don't brag about that publicly. In fact, no one even knew about them publicly before. You know, let me explain something for just a second, Parker, to people. Yeah. Because the people outside the Beltway, it's complicated. There's a, that's a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so what uh, think tanks like Center for American Progress and Heritage do is they hire tons of experts, whether it's on immigration and national security or various parts of the world, uh, you know, family issues for some of them. Heritage is one of those that covers those. And I guess Center for American Progress does, too, in terms of transgenderism and gay marriage and all of that. So uh, these experts then work busily to research and then prepare positions like uh, this is how you'd say, this is how you present this. This is how you can, and uh, um, administrations, uh, in spite of the money they have from federal government, they don't have, uh, they generally look to these think tanks, the ones that they trust, Brookings Institute is another one that's on the left, uh, to give them, uh, to, to do the research, to have the background. And they often, when they find, uh, like Center for American Progress for the Clintons and Heritage for Republican Presidents, uh, they trust them, and so they will adopt uh, many of their policies, and they, they become like merged. They become like quasi-government agencies. Okay, but uh, the difference again here is that this one is off the record. So, Parker, what do we know for sure that they – what area uh, have they been influencing from your perspective after looking at this? Um, almost everything. Uh, one of the notable ones that I uh, I found, for example, there was a rule that the Trump administration proposed that was not quite into effect yet because of the uh, delays in the regulatory policy making process. Um, this rule would have 
allowed single-sex homeless shelters, um, things like battered women's shelters, to uh, look at biological sex as a category for admission. Uh, Governing for Impact has a proposal on their website that details how they could use um, housing laws to effectively undo this rule and make it so that uh, single-sex shelters and battered women's shelters that accept federal funding uh, can no longer consider biological sex as a category for admission um, and would have to admit transgender individuals to a battered women's shelter. If that doesn't seem like an obvious problem to you and your uh, listeners, I don't know what would. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Parker, Other let me just, areas? Hang on just a second. Oh. I, let me just say that uh, the tremendous progress was made under President Trump's uh, HHS, Health and Health and Human Services Division. Roger Severino was one of the key people in that, and they, made, they passed massive rules Sometimes we oppose rules of these agencies because their unelected bureaucrats are making these. But these are rules that we were very happy with on the, on the issue of the sanctity of life and on transgenderism. Uh, Roger and his staff were, did incredible work. And so I, I'm not surprised that they're zero, zeroing in on reversing those rules because we know where they are philosophically, very different place. Okay, so where else, Parker? Um, they're also very active in environmental policy. Um, it's one of the few things they didn't get everything they wanted. Um, they have a another proposal on their policy or uh, another policy proposal on their website that talks about how uh, the federal government can institute a uh, federal review of the coal leasing program, uh, which is the leasing of uh, vast uh, swaths of unused federal land uh, to coal mining companies. Um, what Governing for Impact wanted was the total end of the federal coal leasing program. Um, they didn't get that, but they did get their review. Um, it just shows you how radical George Soros' uh, anti-energy agenda is. I'm curious about immigration because, as I said earlier, and you probably know, Soros is uh, notorious mm-hmm. for wanting to break down borders of all countries, and he was really responsible, Absolutely. I think, in many ways, uh, for the breakdown of borders in Europe uh, and the influx of, I'd say, single Muslim men advancing across, you know, German villages raping women. I'm, that's an Ill, I've said, I realize that I'm... Uh, kind of putting the the worst spin on it, but that did actually happen. That's not that's not fabricated, and so he doesn't like borders. So it, it, does uh, anything in the governing for impact information say what they've done on immigration? Um, no, it doesn't say anything, if any, that they've done on immigration. They do touch on policing. One of the interesting things that we discovered is in that uh, the the budget proposals, uh, the internal budget proposals that we were able to, that we were able to discover. Um, they do talk a lot about policing, um, things like the Treasury Department and voting laws. Uh, none of those proposals appear on their website, either because they're not willing to even share them on the website that was secret, um, or maybe they just forgot. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of, top- there are a lot of topics. We know a lot about what they do, but there's a lot more that we don't know. Yeah, I was just, uh, I, I would vote for the secret part. Because uh, I can, you can bet they're involved. If they're involved this much as you've described, you can bet they're up to the ears and the rest of it. And I think exactly. um, Parker, we I have talked about Arabella with with the staff of uh, Capital Research and with Scott about this. Uh, but yeah. it is a little. Uh, let's go back to that again because the thing that makes this insidious yeah, is. Uh, well, I'll let you tell. Uh, how does it give yeah. us the the primer on how Ara, Arabella works and how they organize themselves? Yeah. So Arabella, when you. Let me preface this by saying when you're a nonprofit organization, you must file what's called a Form 990, which allows the public to inspect what you're doing with your tax-exempt organization. Um, It's a very 
ordinary policy that's been around for a long time. Arabella Advisors was created as a for-profit consulting firm. Now, what this for-profit consulting firm does is it provides the staffing, the HR, and the accounting um, for four, maybe five separate organizations called the 1630 Fund, the New Venture Fund, the Windward Fund, the Hopewell Fund, and the North Fund. Between all of these organizations in 2020, over $1.6 billion was raised, mostly from large millionaire, billionaire, private foundation donations. Um, now, all of these organizations, the Arabella Advisors Controlled Nonprofits, all of those then direct their money uh, either to each other or to uh, other nonprofit organizations. Or the most secretive thing they can do is they create what's called a, a fiscally sponsored pop-up group, which means that it's a nonprofit organization that doesn't have its own tax-exempt status. So you can't request their 990s. You don't really know who's working for them what they're doing, who's donating to them. It's, it's really impossible to track. So Arabella That's... Advisors is essentially the largest political nonprofit shop, I think, possibly ever created. Yeah, and thus, thus the term dark money. It really is yeah, dark it, it money. All, and... It's all total, all of the money that goes into, it, it's like a giant, essentially, you can think about it kind of like money laundering, you know, though that has very different legal connotations. But all of the money that goes in becomes totally untraceable on the way out. You can't tell which donor is giving to which fiscally sponsored pop-up group or which donor is giving to which uh, organization that then receives money uh, from the Arabella Advisors controlled groups. Yes, and that's uh, and and it'll get it's not technically illegal, right? Um no, it's actually it's actually one of the unfortunate things about the way our nonprofit law works. It is legal, but it's a loophole that they've been exploiting for a very long time. So, um, so bottom line, bottom line, if the wrap-up sentence here, Parker, what did you find? Well, we found that the um, Governing for Impact, using that massive Arabella Advisors network, has been secretly operating to influence laws in ways that are very concerning, very secretive, with a very tight-knit and well-funded group of individuals, um, which Excellent. is so typical of the left that pretends to abhor money in politics. Parker, what a great addition you are to Capital Research Center. Let me just say that, and let me advise all of you to go to InfluenceWatch.org if you want to have your ears blown back by what they find. InfluenceWatch.org. And also, uh, you can find this article uh, of the P- Parker's research at Fox News. It's secretive Soros-funded group works behind the scenes with Biden administration on policy. We'll put that on our Getter account so that you can access it. And Parker, nice to meet you. Hope that we can talk again. Thank you so much. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Popular Sunday school song I sung as a child. The subject is important. How do we get joy in our heart? I'm Charles Morris. Join me all week as we look at Philippians. And we're joined by musician Randall Goodgame in a series called Rejoicing in Jesus. Haven today, weekday mornings at 430 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. 
AFA Action. Announcing AFA.net slash connect. One news now. It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms. Pick and choose which updates you want to receive. Easily subscribe or unsubscribe. American Family Studio. And to quote our privacy policy, American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations. AFA Journal. Make a better connection with AFA at afa.net slash connect. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The prophet Isaiah diagnosed the condition of the rebellious nation of Judah prior to its conquest and exile by Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 59 of his book. He explained that Judah's transgressions separated the nation from Yahweh. Due to Judah's sinfulness, truth had fallen in the streets. The consequences for their rejection of truth was that lawlessness abounded. Similarly, truth has been rejected in our nation. Abundant lawlessness is the consequence for a nation that has turned away from the Lord. Repentance is what is needed in our nation, starting in the church. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war and they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. In October 2019, a group of globalists and U.S. and Chinese officials conducted an ominous tabletop exercise called Event 201. Among other things, it modeled how a coronavirus pandemic could be used to strengthen world government. Within weeks, the CCP unleashed such a pandemic. As predicted by the Event 201 team, the World Health Organization assumed a prominent role in the response. We soon learned, however, that it was basically a shill for communist China and its model of totalitarian mass mandates, lockdowns, and inadequately tested vaccines. The Biden administration nonetheless seems intent on greatly increasing the power of the World Health Organization to dictate responses to future pandemics. On May 22nd, votes are expected that would subordinate our national sovereignty and decision-making to the dictates of the WHO without the approval of the U.S. Senate. Will we let that happen? This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. When the New York Times reported that Republican leader Kevin McCarthy was so outraged by Donald Trump's behavior on January 6th that he wanted him to resign, McCarthy flatly denied it, calling the report, quote, totally false and wrong. 
But now the reporters behind the story have presented proof, McCarthy's own voice, here talking about Trump on a call with Republican leaders four days after the attack on the Capitol. Uh, I've had it with this guy. Uh, what he did is unacceptable. Um, nobody can defend that and nobody should defend it. And a day later, McCarthy said this in a call with House Republicans. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad about what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened. Um, and he needs to acknowledge that. The tape is from New York Times reporters Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, backing up reporting from their forthcoming book, This Will Not Pass. When they first reported this week that McCarthy told fellow Republicans he planned to call Trump and tell him he should resign, the Republican leader's spokesperson claimed, quote, McCarthy never said he'd call Trump to say he should resign. But listen to the tape. McCarthy first talks about the certainty of impeachment passing the House and maybe the Senate, and even raises the possibility of Pence pardoning Trump if he resigned. What I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My, this, this is what I think. Um, you know it'll pass the House. I think there's a chance it'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Um, and... I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, I haven't had a discussion with the Dems that if he did resign, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any conversations about Pence pardoning. Again, I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. McCarthy's harsh words about Trump would soon be a distant memory. And just three weeks after January 6th, he visited the former president in Mar-a-Lago. All right, so that uh, that's a clip we played a couple of days ago. That was ABC, Jonathan Carl. And uh, that broke last week, last Thursday, I believe. So Kevin McCarthy, while, you know, sidling up to President Trump, and Kevin, President Trump always calls him my Kevin, uh, was actually caught on tape. And I think Liz Cheney, I'm pretty sure it was Liz Cheney who uh, leaked this, and Liz is on the J6 committee trying to destroy President Trump, trying to get him out of office, trying to get him criminally prosecuted, out of office, he is out of office, trying to get him criminally prosecuted uh, for his actions on January the 6th. And so she's the one who uh, released that tape. But of course, Kevin's playing both sides because that's what he does. Uh, so I want to then uh, revisit the fact that yesterday we talked about President Trump just uh, a couple of hours maybe an hour after the the um, the disturbance in the Capitol uh, broke out, uh, President Trump recorded this, put it on Twitter, and in five minutes, Twitter had taken this down. And it needs to be played over and over and over again because they're, they are accusing him of doing nothing on that day. There's been much made about that, uh, but that's absolutely not true. This is an example. This is how could this? Po this is what he recorded. The timeline is there, and this is what he said. Clip, clip ten. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. 
There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. So that's what President Trump was trying to communicate to the people that had gone to the Capitol. And Twitter takes it down within five minutes. Uh, you know, and just see even his warning about don't let them use, basically don't let them use you. Don't fall into the trap that they've laid. And they did lay a trap. We're learning more and more about that, aren't we? President Trump is always prescient in his remarks. He always uh, seems to know things we don't know, and they turn out to be true. People think he's crazy, but he's not crazy. Uh, we know that Nancy Pelosi refused to call in the National Guard, refused to beef up. up. Evidently, there were communications to tell the Capitol Police to kind of let people run amok. But the very next day after January 6th, Mike Waller joined me. He was there and he talked about the lack of police presence. Mike is a, an expert on uh, um, disturbances internationally. And he was an observer that day. And he talked about there just wasn't any police there as people progressed on the Capitol steps. And it was very easy, actually, to get up close and that should have been prevented. So it was a setup. I think we can all say there were people there to incite the crowd, like Ray Epps, but I don't want to get off track. I want to just remind you, President Trump did try to calm the crowd, to calm the people, and that's what he did, and Twitter took it off. So you heard what Tucker said this morning about uh, McCarthy. In fact, we'll play that again, too, because I want you to I want to walk you through this. So uh, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, um, you know, wasn't maybe so upset that Twitter had taken President Trump off. In fact, this is what Tucker reports that he said, clip two. Congressman Kevin McCarthy of California told his close friend Liz Cheney that he hoped the social media companies would censor more conservative Republicans in Congress. Donald Trump, the sitting president, had already been silenced by those companies, but McCarthy wanted the tech oligarchs to do more, to force disobedient lawmakers off the internet. Quote, Quote, can't they take their Twitter accounts away too? Those are the tape-recorded words of Congressman Kevin McCarthy, a man who in private, turns out, sounds like an MSNBC contributor. And yet, unless conservatives get their act together right away, Kevin McCarthy, or one of his highly liberal allies, like Elise Stefanik, is very likely to be Speaker of the House in January. That would mean we will have a Republican Congress led by a puppet of the Democratic Party. You know, it's true. I mean, I, I would say it's by the, the Uniparty. That's what we call it in D.C., where you, there's very there's not much room between the Democratic leadership and the Republican, maybe on some issues publicly. Uh, but in terms of just what really just what really kind of forms them, it's power, it's power, power, power at all costs. And so that's um, that's the future Speaker of the House if he has his way. And I the, the briefing I heard last week is he's going to have his way because that's before this tape recording leaked. Uh, but he should not have his way. It's wrong. And I think this would be a good thing for us to uh, go after our congressman, uh, our conservative congressman, tell him do not, do not, uh, do not put McCarthy in place as speaker. But I want to go further with this because we want to move over to the Senate. You know that Mitch McConnell is not my favorite person. I've taken him on in private and in public. Uh, his chief of staff I used to take on almost weekly uh, because I, I, and I saw Mitch McConnell speak years ago before I ever met him or was in his presence. 
but he spoke at a live event. Actually, I'll tell you exactly. It was a heritage event in Chicago. And I remember at the time thinking, I was on the air in Chicago then, I thought, this this man has no principle. He was, um, he's very, very fastidious at rules. He knows the Senate rules. He knows how to exert power when he wants to. And sometimes that power that he exerts comports to the benefit of conservatives and social conservatives, certainly. Uh, but that's not his goal. It just is a happenstance that he, thank goodness, helps us sometimes. But the real man is not the man that should be leading uh, the the uh, Senate majority for the Republicans. And I want to give you an example just to take you back. This is, I think, four days, three or four days after January the 6th. Uh, Mitch McConnell stood on the Senate floor, and this is what he said, clip four. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. As Justice Story explained, the Senate, upon conviction, is bound in all cases to enter a judgment of removal from office. Removal is mandatory upon conviction. Clearly, he explained, that mandatory sentence cannot be applied to someone who's left office. The entire process revolves around removal. If removal becomes impossible, conviction becomes insensible. Impeachment, conviction, and removal are a specific intra-governmental safety valve. It is not the criminal justice system where individual accountability is the paramount goal. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. All right, so what's he saying? He's saying um, that President Trump, the people that went to the Capitol, and even that rallied on January 6th, went because those poor people... You know, they they believe this president, and uh, they, they're just so devoted to him that they will go in and storm the Capitol and uh, have a riot because they believe him. And they, what is it? Uh, a crescendo of false, uh, false narratives and conspiracy theories, you know, about the election. The President Trump has been talking about, he's got them whipped into a frenzy because, you know, they're mindless. They're kind of, they're not like us here in this Capitol. It, this is where democracy happens. That's what he said on January 6th. These people had disrupted democracy. I remember him saying that as though he, as the uh, speaker of the, uh, the, the leader of the Senate, 
uh, was, you know, the the one who was the the arbiter of democracy, the people, which the democracy means of the people. Uh, they, you know, they're interfering with our democracy. He had said that. Uh, and so then he's going on to say that we can't impeach him. Unfortunately, we can't impeach him because impeachment is simply removing from office. But we can go after him uh, with the law as a private citizen. But the most important headline from what I what I should have led with this is that on January the 6th, uh, Mitch McConnell told New York Times reporter Jonathan Martin, I feel exhilarated by the fact that this fellow finally, totally, discredited himself, speaking of President Trump. He put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Couldn't have happened at a better time. That was Mitch McConnell, uh, the leader of the Senate, the Republican leader, and you already know how Kevin McCarthy had undermined the president, Uh, and you also can see how they hate the people they want to silence the people in Congress that oppose them. I mean, they do that by, I've told you this before, they don't give them, uh, they have, they oversee lots of money for re-election campaigns, and they don't give them to some conservatives. That's why you need to donate to them, and that's why you need to be aware of who's hooked into leadership. I'm telling you, if any congressman is hooked into leadership, I just, that's abhorrent to me, because I know where they're coming from. I know that they can be bought. And uh, I'm sorry, that's harsh, but that's exactly the way I feel about it. And uh, the one of the, tr- the results of this is that they've gone after various congressmen. As you know, Nancy Pelosi tried to uh, sort of create the atmosphere in the, the chamber of the House that members of Congress who had gone to January 6th or were involved were, were criminals. And then that's when they set up the metal detectors that they were. And so now they've gone after people like Paul Gosar from um, from Arizona and uh, Andy Biggs also and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn for being there on January the 6th. Uh, by the way, an Arizona judge just totally blew the efforts uh, to get Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar off the ballot because of their participation in January the 6th. And Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, situation is uh, being arbitrated right now, but I think that decision in Arizona will have some impact on it. So not all judges and not all people everywhere are in consort with this. I just, I don't know if Mitch McConnell is really ignorant. I, I kind of think maybe he is, to be honest with you, about the election. I think he refuses to look at the evidence because so many have as well. That does not excuse him. He's the leader, one of the leaders of the free world. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.